7 p.m. Don't miss that. It's going to be good. A good hour of worship. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the word here. Father God, we love you so much. Lord God, we don't deserve anything, and you give us everything. We thank you so much for your goodness and your, your grace, Lord God, your mercy that is new every single morning, Lord. I thank you for every person in this room, Lord, those who are watching live right now online, Lord. I thank you for them. I thank you for touching us and, and opening our ears to hear what you have us say, not just what I'm saying, Lord God, but what you want us to leave here with today, because that will change our life. I thank you, Lord God. I'm desperate for your anointing this morning. I thank you that you are here and that you... You are inhabiting the praises of your people. We give you all the praise and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to see everybody. We are in our series right now that we've been on all summer long uh, called The Deadlies. The seven deadly sins, and what we have discovered is that these are kind of the root sins. These seven deadly sins are the root sins from which it seems like all other sins that you could possibly come up with come out. Uh, the, all of them are really a form. Anything you can think of is really a form in one way or another of these seven deadly sins. We've got pride, anger, greed, gluttony, lust, envy, sloth. Uh, easy way to remember it is the acronym PAGLES, P-A-G-G-E-L-E-S. Paggles. Sounds like a really cute little pet or something like that. You know, your little puppy Paggles. Um, I had a cat one time uh, in my early marriage. I had a cat who Paggles would have been a very good name for her because she was just this little deadly, horrible thing. Uh, She just lived to sit behind the counter and when you walk by, just claw the tendons in your ankle. That would make her day. That's all she wanted to do. And people ask me why I'm bitter about cats. That is why, in Jesus' name. Um, I'm going to go... Not going to let it keep me bitter, but uh, that's what I think about cats. So anyway, <laughs> next week, uh, we're going to wrap up our series. We're going to wrap up our series. Some of you are like, yay! Um, you're not going to want to miss it. You're not going to want to miss it. I, I, I think it's going to open up your eyes. Some of our, some of, for some of us, it'll open up our eyes. Maybe into some things that we haven't thought of when we talk about sloth. Um, this morning, though, we are tackling our sixth deadly enemy, and that is envy. Envy. So let's talk about what is envy. Let's get that out of the way. Envy, you know, when you think about envy, commonly you think about that's what it it means to want what other people have. That's kind of the basic thing, to want what other people have. But more accurately, if you really look at what envy is, it goes a step further because envy is the resentment of and the desire for what other people have, their possessions or their qualities or something like that. It's the resentment of as well as the desire for their possessions. Um, So envy isn't just liking something somebody else has. It's also the desire wrapped up in resentment, uh, discontentment, jealousy, that sort of thing. Now, everybody knows what it's like to have that neighbor, right, the guy who, who lives next door who, who gets the new car. You know what that's like? He gets the new car, or your friend gets the great job, and usually you're really happy for him, right, because you're decent people. So, you know, your friend gets a, gets a great new car, gets a new, new job or something like that. You're happy. That's awesome. But you ever have those moments? You have those moments. They tell you, oh, I got the new thing, and that little grumble in the pit of your stomach that whispers, that should have been me. That should have been me. I'm the one who needs the job. I'm the one who needs a car. My car's older than his, right? I'm the one. Uh, you know, or, or, or I'm the one. I wanted to really make it as an artist, and, you know, they're getting all this success. I'm the one who wanted to start my own business. I had that idea. I'm the one who had that idea before they did, right? Why are they finding success? 
Um, or maybe, maybe it just seems like for some people, you know that person, it just seems like everything goes right for them. Like they just stumble into success. Everything goes right for them. It works out. It's like they were born successful or good looking or smart or whatever. It, you know, they didn't earn it, right? I mean, they didn't really earn it. So it's not like they deserve that. They didn't even have to work hard for it, right? It comes easy for them. Why didn't that happen to me, right? Maybe you're somebody who, you know, you're, you're, you're uh, looking for that special soulmate and, and then the friend. You have that friend who found love. They find love and they're, they're getting married and, oh, you know that feeling? You're like, I'm so happy for you, right? There's something deep down inside that's like, why not me? That should be me. Now, for some people, this can be a really painful thing. It can be, it can be very real. I've talked to couples who, like, uh, for instance, wanted, a, wanted to have a baby really bad. People wanted to have a baby, and that's what they want, and they try and try and try it. And, of course, right when you want to have a baby and you're trying, it seems like everybody around you just, like, trips and bumps into each other and gets pregnant, right? Everybody's getting pregnant, right? Just like a really good cup of coffee, and they're pregnant. It, and you're trying, and you're trying, Right? Make you, and it can make you bitter, right? Make you bitter instead of happy for other people. Make you bitter. Why is that guy getting to, that guy or that girl getting to do these things? They don't even know what they're doing, right? Why is God blessing them? Why is God blessing that family? I know they don't pray like we do. They don't pray as much as we do. We have our weekly devotion. I know they, they go to rated R movies and God's blessing them. Oh, it's not fair, Right? Why does that person not have the problems I have? I struggle with this thing, and they they just seem to like float through life. Why am I cursed with these struggles, this addiction? Why am I cursed with this addiction? Why am I cursed with this illness? I keep having this illness, right? And it's a lifelong struggle, or I'm really having to battle this thing. I see these people, those people on the next row over, and they don't look like they're ever sick. They They have it so easy, right? We might put it this way. In a nutshell, envy is looking at something that someone else has and saying, that should have been mine. And and to really distill it even further, it's saying, that's not fair. That's not fair. Now, I have to tell a story about my little boy, and I know some of you have, have pointed out that I'm telling a lot of stories about my little seven-year-old lately, and at the risk of you thinking that he's just this horrible cauldron of, like, the seven deadly sins, it's, it's too good. I can't pass it up. It's, he's seven years old, so, you know, when you're that age, it's just called immaturity. When you're 27, it's seven deadly sins. But um, I, l- last week, uh, my wife and I and, and my two little boys got to go on a little vacation. We had a few days, and so we, we took off, and just to be together, we realized this whole summer is almost over, and we haven't, like, had that time. You know, every family, you need that time to spend that time, make that memory, just really soak in each other. And so we, we went, and we just went to a place <clears throat> where they just got to, like, uh, swim all day long. That's, like, what every kid's dream pretty much is anyway, right? They don't even care where it is. They think they're at Disney World, but, you know, it's just a pool, right? <clears throat> And they were swimming. They just got to swim and swim. And there's some water slides, and they're playing on the water slides, having the time of their life. And Mel and I were just having the best time, just getting to be together, just totally devoted to them, you know, just getting to look at them and swim and play and eat and everything. And, you know, we're all in the same little hotel room, so you're having that awesome, you know, intimacy together and playing. And, 
Anyway, it was a wonderful time, wonderful time. For three days, it's just like, for them, it's just heaven on earth, right? It's, it, you know, they're not punching a schedule. They don't have to do any, anything else. It's just swim from morning till time to go to bed. Swim, swim, swim. And they're having the time of their life. And on about the third day, we, were, uh, we just left some, you know, left the water slide, and we're walking through the little lobby. And over here in the outside in the little yard area, our group of children and their families, and I think they were watching a little outdoor movie. Had a little movie showing. And they all had some popcorn. Well, we just got done having the time of our life for three days. You know, we're all just like, it's just awesome. We're loving each other. We walk out the door, and my little seven-year-old, he, go, he sees these kids with popcorn. All of a sudden, this change comes over him completely. He throws his little hands into a fist and screams, That's not fair! Right? All of a sudden, three days of bliss just melts away. He didn't even know he wanted popcorn, but he saw somebody with popcorn. Suddenly, his life stinks because other people have popcorn. And I mean, you know, we're just like, you know, of course, it's a little teaching moment. I'm gently trying to describe now what this is, is the sin of envy. And you want, um, we want to be grateful for everything, you know, uh, I probably wasn't that cool, I promise. Um, yeah, but isn't that amazing? But isn't that, isn't that the way we all are? It's the way we are. We didn't even know we wanted that thing, but they have it. Why not me? That's not fair. That's not fair. Okay, just, there he is swimming. Isn't he cute? He's so cute. He's having a good time. That was before the, he saw popcorn. And it got real ugly. Um, Thomas Aquinas gave a famous definition of envy. He said, it's sorrow at another's good fortune. Sorrow at another's good fortune. It's one of those things we would never admit, right? You never admit, but that's envy. And the thing about envy, like pride, it's invisible. It's taken place inside, right? Um, Rather than on the outside, where we can all see it, you know, like those really ugly diseases that we can all, you know, see, those, those, those ugly sins. Uh, you know, we can, we can see gluttony. We can see anger. We can see when you get mad, right? We can't always see envy. But envy is just as real and destructive. In fact, without envy, when you think about it, there wouldn't be a whole lot of other sins. When you think about it, right? Would, would there, other sins might not even exist. Would there be adultery without envy? Would there be stealing Without envy, it's, it's at the root of so many of these other kinds of sins. The book of James, he says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. So envy's at the root of a lot of these other things we come up with to do. Envy's at the root. Does that sound like a place you've ever been before? I've been in that space. I have. And you know what? It's a lie that leads to death. It really is. It's no wonder that as far back as even the Ten Commandments, you know, he gives all these Ten Commandments, and what does he end on? What's the last thing he says? He says, the number ten, thou shalt not covet. He finishes it off with that final warning, because envy is truly a desire of the heart that leads to further and further destruction. Don't covet. He's not trying to stop your fun. He's trying to save you from destruction. And, and, you know, pride is often called the deadliest of the deadly sins. But envy, when you think about it, envy is the exact opposite of love, isn't it? 
Isn't it the opposite of love? Because love actively seeks the good of other people, and it rejoices with them. That's love. It seeks the good of others. Envy resents the good in other people. What could be more the opposite of love? Envy is exactly how the kingdom of heaven doesn't work. Look at Job. He says this in the book of Job. He says, resentment kills a fool, and envy slays the simple. Don't take envy lightly. It's not just a, you know, one of your cute personality quirks. It kills. It slays. There's a, there's a scripture in Proverbs that I love. It so graphically points out this, the destructive uh, ability of envy. In Proverbs 14.30, it says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. A heart at peace gives life to the body. Look at the juxtaposition there. What, what is on the one side? The heart at what? Peace. Peace. That's what God wants for us. And what does peace do? Does it just make you feel good? It's like kind of helps you out in your day? It gives life. Peace gives life. What's the alternative? Envy. Bone-rotting envy. So, now it's safe to say that envy is, is kind of a part of the emotional landscape of our culture. Um, now, it's not something that's unique to our culture. It's not, you know, there, it, it, on every culture, on every continent, and every century in human history, you will find this current of envy running through it. But it looks different in different places. It kind of reveals itself differently in different places. It'll look different here than it does maybe in some other country or like a third world country. Envy comes out in a different way. But here in our world especially, envy, it seems like, isn't only accepted, it's encouraged, right? We're told to use envy to our advantage, Envy, you know, to, to inspire yourself and to move up in the world, right? Envy is like, like this good thing. But scriptures tell us of a different way to live. Scripture tells us of, of, that we can have a different motivation. It's a, it's a countercultural way to live. And, and as we've seen every single week in here, what, we t- we're, what we're bringing out is this way to live that's called the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. The li- it's living according to the freedom that God invites us into. That's called kingdom living. Some of the New Testament writers refer to it as living by the Spirit. It's a total different set of rules. Living by the Spirit. Um, it, it basically throws out all the world's rules and the bondage that following that way will, will get you in and the rat race and all that kind of stuff. And, and the kingdom way of living is this kingdom alternative to envy, which is the Scripture inviting us to, to live with a heart of peace. A heart of peace. And it doesn't just bring joy to your minds, but it brings life to your body. If, if we could get there, I'm, st- I'm still trying to get there, but if we could get there, it brings life to our body because what the world and this culture won't tell you is that envy rots the bones. It has a real devastating effect on our life. It's not just a bad habit. Now, envy can happen in, a, you know, in kind of dark, big, serious areas of our life. It can also happen in silly areas of our life. We see envy. Any Instagram users here? Raise your hand if you're on Instagram. Yeah, we have some Instagrammers. I'm on Instagram. We got some. It's not a bad thing. You, you, can, you can admit it. Uh, any, uh, raise your hand if you're uh, Twitter, Twitter users. A few, a few more Twitters. Raise your hand if you're on Facebook. There we go. 
all the grandparents got on Facebook and all the kids went to Instagram, I think, right? And then in between you got Twitter. That they, everybody, everybody's on Twitter. Um, yeah, so uh, Instagram is, is and Facebook and those kind of things. They're a wonderful example of the potential for envy to kind of twist uh, your emotional well-being way out of sorts. Uh, for those of you who aren't on Instagram, in a nutshell, basically you take a picture and you know you post it in your feed. Maybe you doctor it a little bit. You know, you make it look cool, and, and then you put it in your feed. And you know, you have these followers, and hopefully you get a like. People like like it, and that always feels good. So it's really simple. You just take pictures and hope people like them. Um, but there's nothing wrong with that. But it takes it. It starts to turn into this other thing, this other thing, which is called insecurity. <laughs> right. I call insecurity. I've struggled with bouts of insecurity, um, also known as retweet addiction. Right? <laughs> Who's retweeting my tweet? Um, Twitter users know what I'm talking about. This sub, this subtle subconscious preoccupation that you start to get with, like, how many likes is my post getting? How many reposts? You know, uh, how, how many people are are liking it? How many retweets? And so, you know what it's like. You, you Instagram some sweet selfie, you know, because your hair is just right that day, and it uh, looks great. You know, or that plate of nachos, because people need to know about that. <laughs> it all looks good. It looks beautiful. You got, like, the right amount of lens flare on it, kind of little grain. It looks like it came from the 70s in your grandma's attic, you know, and it looks good. You put it online, you wait, and, th- and then you, what happens? You walk away. You're trying to live your life, but then you want to check on it, right? <laughs> How are we doing? Hey, I got a like. I got a like. And you keep, like, it starts to consume you, right? I mean, admit it, right? It happens. It doesn't make you evil. It just makes you human. Okay. Uh, so, so, um, so you keep checking it, right? Who's, has anybody retweeted my tweet, right? Anybody? And, and if you have your text alert set on your phone, you get that perverse thrill when the little chime goes off. Like, oh, somebody liked it, right? Right? Um, it's silly. It's not the end of the world, but it's silly. Um, for instance, here's me eating a breakfast taco on vacation because people need to know about this, right? There we are. There we are. It's important things like that get shared with the world. Um, okay, so that's okay, but then envy sneaks into the picture. So here's how envy works. You put it up there. You get a few likes. That's good. I'm happy. I got a few. Hey, it's like four people. Thought my picture was interesting. That's great. But then you noticed Kimberly. She posted that stupid picture, like says, just hang in there of the cat. And she got like a hundred likes, right? And you're like, what gives? A hundred likes, right? Of her little poster. I, I'm telling you, I can, I can pour my heart out into a tweet, like, oh, oh, this is perfectly crafted. Yes, this will bless so many people. And I send it out there in the world. Crickets. <laughs> Nothing's happening, right? My wife will get on there and, like, type, my kids are cute, and, like, 100 people an hour will like it, like it, like it. She'll just have all these comments. Oh, your kids are so... Right? It's not fair. It's not fair at all. <laughs> I get Twitter envy, insecurity. I get it all. It doesn't help like when your friend goes on vacation, right? And, and they need to Instagram every single stage of the trip, right? Here's me at the airport. Here's me on first class. It's awesome. Here I am eating lobster on the beach. Yay! Oh, the traffic in Rome is so bad this time of day. You're like, I get it. You're having a better week than I am. I get it. Enough. Enough. Unfollow. Right? 
It's just true. Envy, it can sneak in in silly ways like that, but it can also sneak in in very serious ways in our life. And, and if left unchecked, if left unchecked, envy can hold your life ransom and, and rot your bones. I want to look at a little a story in the Bible to help us wrap our minds around this concept. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, we have the story of the Israelites. They're in the promised land. They've been rescued from Egypt by God. He's led them to their promised land, and now they're living. They're their very own land, their very own country, the people, and, and they're prospering. And what's happened is, up to that point in their history, they're being led by God. Like, you don't understand, like God is the leader of the land. There's no president. There's no prime minister. He's the leader. They're, like, he is the ruler of these people, like, un, unlike ever before seen in history, before or since. These people where God is king, what could be better than that? God is the great judge. He's the one giving the commands. He's protecting his people, leading them in the ways of the kingdom and justice and mercy and righteousness. But something happens with the Israelites in 1 Samuel. Suddenly, they start looking around at the other kingdoms, and just like a seven-year-old who realizes someone else has popcorn, the Israelites start saying, yeah, we have it all, but we want more. We want more. Suddenly, having God as their leader isn't really what they want anymore. And so the elders of, of the nation are talking to Samuel in the scripture of the prophet. They're talking to prophet, and they tell him, they say to him, you're old and your sons don't walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. The Israelites say, we don't want God to lead us anymore. We want a king. Kings are cool. Kings are cool. We want a king, right? Someone like Aragon, just flowing hair, and he's going to be really cool, marry an elf, and he's going to lead us to victory. We want a king. See, what happens is envy suggests something new to you. It suggests you should take a look around. Look, look around. Yeah, things seem to be going right, but look around you. It, look around and compare. It says, you know what? You want to be like them. Check, it, check them out. They're, they're not even as great as you. And look at what they have, right? And envy starts by saying, why not me? Yeah, yeah, why not me? But see, then it takes root and it starts to get bitter. And what it starts to then say after a while is, why them? Right? It goes from why not me to why them? And, and we notice in Samuel, the Israelites were right where God wanted them. They are, they are right there. But they developed this assumption that they were less than other nations, Right? They're not as cool or whatever as these other nations. That somehow, if they had what they had, they would be somehow happier. If I just have that, I'll be happy. We'll be more respected, more liked. Where, where God has me at this moment, it's not good enough. That's where envy keeps coming in. It'll tell you over and over. Yeah, but it's not good enough. That's what envy says. Someone around here is getting more than me, and I'm getting a raw deal. One of the ways that envy does, it makes these leaps of logic that aren't even true. For instance, envy will say, you know, what they have is better than what I have, and, and therefore that makes me less valuable. Envy will make you feel less valuable. And somehow we come up with this conclusion that it's what we have or what we don't have in possessions or relationships, status, perception, whatever it is, that that thing contributes somehow to our value. And what we're really insinuating 
is, I, I must be less valuable to God because he gave this thing to other people, but he's not giving it to me. God must not think of me as one of his favorites. But see, God has already declared you priceless. He said you were priceless. Your value isn't in what you have or what somebody else has. Your value is sealed in the fact that you are infinitely and uniquely loved by God. Infinitely. God himself. He created you unique from all other people. See, envy does something else. It rejects the joy of your uniqueness. Envy rejects the joy of your uniqueness. It makes you resent it. It makes you seek after this horrible idea of sameness, right? Sameness. It's a demonic idea. And, and envy will make you chase that. Envy wants us all to be the same. The children of Israel were a unique nation. No, it wasn't fair. God blessed them. They were a unique nation set apart, a nation led directly by God himself, the king of kings. They had the king of kings. And they wanted to get rid of that for a king. They had a mission of showing the world who, what God is like, of being a blessing to the world. And they, they want, they're like, nah, we want a king. This nationwide epidemic of envy is what struck Israel. It made them blind to what made them unique. They were very unique, but they became blind to it. It made them desire something that was actually less than what God wanted for them. C.S. Lewis says a thing, and to paraphrase, he says that God doesn't, he doesn't think that your desires are too great. That's not the problem. He thinks they're too pitiful. The things that we want are too pitiful, right? Envy turns us into these half-hearted creatures that actually desire less than God's best for us. Amen. And it'll keep you from doing what God has called you to do, Right? God has called you to do something unique. It'll keep you from that. When you, when you don't embrace what's inside of you, who God made you to be, the, the gifts and talents that he put in you, when you don't own those things, embrace those things, you, you, those special gifts, they'll never manifest. They'll never be put to use because you'll always be looking at somebody else and looking at how they use their gifts in ways that, that you aren't using them, right? Envy can eat you up, Right? I've looked at other people. I've looked at ministers. I've looked at my own dad. And, you know, there's those times like, oh, God, you know, you use these other great men of God in different gifts in different areas, and you don't really use me in that yet. You don't use me in that. And, you know, and I could, you could get really bitter about that. You could get really self-conscious and, oh, I'm doing something wrong, right? Instead of resting in God's plan and his timing, right, in his timing to grow you. He's growing every single one of us, isn't he? Every single one of us, he's growing. He's turning us into the image of his son. Hallelujah. But Israel looked at their neighbors, and as a result, they lost one of the most unique qualities that God gave them of being led directly by God. Here's the, here's the real tragedy. When you allow envy to become part of your space, what it does is betray every single gift that God has placed in your life every single good thing he's placed before you and around you and in you, it betrays those things. It betrays it. How, how many uh, married dudes do we have? Married men. Raise your hand. Married men. Okay. Married men. Make a big married man sound. <laughs> All right. Yeah. 
All right. That was interesting. <laughs> Not what I was expecting. How many single guys do we have in the room? Single guys? Make like a single guy yell. All right. All right. <laughs> oh, I don't know what I was expecting there, but that's interesting. Okay, let's, okay. Married men, let's say, let's say you're, you're out there and you're going to, you decide you're going to do something really romantic this weekend. All right? Like you do something really amazing. I was going to say like you build a house or something, but that's a little outlandish for someone like me. I can't, I, I barely swing a hammer. So let's say you like, you're going to cook something. All right. You're going to, you're going to make something beautiful for your boo, right? You're going to sweep her off her feet. Okay. So let's say you go to the trouble. You, you know, go online. You find four different recipes for all kinds of things. And, and you are in there slaving in the kitchen. You've got all kinds of ingredients. You're making this beautiful thing. And there's like lobster and steak and, I don't know, sauces and all kinds of beautiful things. And you get it all, all prepared, right? Because you're going to sweep her off her feet. This is going to be a good weekend. And you, you prepare a little table, right? You got a little flower in the middle. And you can make it all nice and pretty, you know kind of girly looking. It's all nice. And then you go get her. This, this woman of your dreams, you bring her in and you say, baby, look what I've made for you. Right? And you're so, your heart's pounding. You're so excited. And, and let's say that, that beautiful woman of your dreams, she stands there and she goes, hmm, I kind of just felt like chicken salad tonight. <laughs> Maybe a Caesar salad. I just, yeah, just, just want a salad. How much would that betray this beautiful gift, right, that you had given them? Well, see, that's what, that's what envy does in our hearts. That's what envy says to God when it's taken root in our heart. It says, God, that's nice, but I want better. I want something else, right? Uh, this isn't really what I was looking for. And, and look, I know everybody's got problems, does anybody in here have no problems? <laughs> Write a book and right, I'll buy it. <laughs> Everybody's got problems. I know that. But no matter what you have going on in your life, no matter what you even have that is tempting to be bitter about, I understand, but it may, it may feel like a legitimate beef you have with the universe, right? Something is, is attacking, is coming on. But no matter what you have to be bitter about every time you give in to envy, you close your eyes to the beautiful gifts that God has given you in your world. You close, you become blind to what God has made for you. And never forget this too, just to encourage you. Never forget, if you have Jesus in your corner, if you're here and you're a believer, you have, you, you, Jesus is in your corner. You've experienced salvation from hopelessness and hell. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that on your worst day, it doesn't come close to the best possible day of someone who has no hope. The best possible day they could come up with. Your worst day doesn't even compare, right? What most of us have, even on those days when we've like hit bottom and we think we're done, like, I, I can't go on. What we have on those days is better than having the world give you everything on a silver platter but not having Jesus, right, on your worst day. Not, not to disregard suffering, not to disregard the very real suffering many of us are going through today. I understand that. But just know, just know, on your worst day, there are millions and millions of people 
who would gladly switch places with you in a heartbeat if they could know the peace and joy of trusting in God, of having hope. So when we envy success, when we envy someone's promotion or talent or greatness or achievement, when we envy that, we betray everything that God has given us in our life. Here's something else unique about envy. Of all the seven deadly sins, when you think about it, envy is the only one that doesn't offer any satisfaction. Think about it. I mean, most sin, we got to admit, it can be kind of fun for a season. The Bible even says that sin satisfies for a season. It's satisfying for a season. There might be some short-term fun or pleasure that comes out of, you know, most sins. Pride may, may make you kind of strut around with some endorphin-like feelings, you know, good, good feelings for a little bit. Lust might provide you with a thrill or comfort or something for a season. Greed may provide you with some, like, financial security for a season. But envy never satisfies. It makes you more miserable, right? The writer, Os Guinness, he says, envy's uniqueness lies in the fact that it is the one vice that its perpetrators never enjoy. If you're doing it right, you're not having any fun. It's like the worst sin to commit. Right? Here's an example of what envy leads you to. You never, you never get to enjoy it. Back in the book of Samuel, that story we were reading, guess what? Israel finally gets their king. They finally get what they always wanted, a king. Yeah, and who did they get? King Saul. Saul, a guy who continually disobeyed God. He was like insecure and jealous of everyone around him. And eventually he went crazy, tried to kill people. He was a real winner. (laughs) Saul. And the problems that Israel gives themselves by crowning a king, it comes back and bites them again and again. You'd start reading the, the scriptures of their, their history. Uh, in the reign of Solomon, which was their third king, Solomon comes along. He ramps up the whole military-industrial complex. He builds this kingdom that is built on slavery and oppression. Wait a minute. Back in Exodus, God saved these people out of slavery and oppression. Three kings in, they have built a kingdom based on slavery and oppression. They're oppressing everybody. The exact stuff God delivered Israel from when he rescued them. And then he goes and marries a whole bunch of pagan women and and starts worshiping their idols. And then it only goes downhill from there. We get king after king. It doesn't get any better. King after king. Pretty soon, the kingdom splits apart. And these petty kings are always at war with each other. This is what they get. Kings at war with each other. Until finally, they all get conquered and carried off to foreign lands. How's that? Envy always leads to splintering. Always. When we allow ourselves to have envy in our hearts, what we're doing is rejecting our true nature. We're no longer buying into who God made us to be. And it will break apart our relationships, our friendships. It damages our friendships. It causes us to be a divided self, which is awful. Worst of all, it distances us from God. We're no longer these healthy, integrated beings that he wants us to be. Instead, we exist as these lonely, divided creatures. The chances are, if you're envious of a friend, 
that relationship will not last long. You're not going to be happy for them. And pretty soon, they're going to clue into that fact. That's not a friendship that's going to last long. When you are not embracing who you are, you can never embrace the success of other people. I'm going to say that again. When you're not embracing who you are, you can never embrace the success of other people. One of the best revelations you can get is this. Another person's greatness does not make you small. Okay? Another person's greatness does not make you small, but envy does. Their greatness doesn't make you small. Envy does. When you envy a person because of what they've achieved or their success, you shrink. You make yourself less. Their success doesn't make you poor. Your envy does. Sometimes we need to acknowledge when we choose a life of comparison, when we choose that life, comparison, we need to acknowledge we serve a good God who said he would meet every single need we have. We serve a good God who said he would be there for us and never leave us or forsake us. And if that's true, then you know what? You are as richly blessed as you will acknowledge. Right? Now I'm not saying God's going to leave you there. Right? His, his word says he's got better and better things in store. But you are as richly blessed today as you will acknowledge that God has blessed you. When, when you become free of envy, if, if I could paint this picture for you, this vision of, of a life free of envy. Listen, when you're free of envy, there will never again be a person in this world who can make you feel small. Imagine living in a world, not a single moment of someone else's success makes you feel small because you are so full of the life that God has given you. And you know your life is in his hands and you're full of that. You're full of that life. I'm going to land this plane here in just a minute. In in the gospel of Mark, I, I found this interesting little passage. It was mentioned so quickly, but it says that Pilate, when Jesus in that whole uh, episode where he's, he's about to be crucified, Pilate knew that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. That just bowled me over. It was envy that handed over our innocent Savior to be executed. Envy. The people who needed Jesus the most were blinded by envy. And they needed him the most. Envy blinds you It suffocates you and it blinds you so you can't even see God standing in front of you. The God of the universe is right in front of you and envy will blind you to his presence. So what do we do? What do we do? Each week, what we've been trying to do in here, if if you've been with us, you know, each week we want to ask this question, if sin wants to destroy me, this is terrible stuff, where's my hope found? Where's my hope? Thankfully, with envy, there's both a cure and a vaccine. You want to hear it? There's a cure and a vaccine I want to share with you today. The cure comes in step one and the vaccine in step two. Can anyone tell me what is the first step? The first step of being free from envy, as, as it is with every sin, confession and repentance, right? I'm just going to give you a spoiler alert. Next week, we're talking about sloth. The first step will be confession and repentance. <laughs> Okay. Why? Because this is a spiritual problem, right? 
It's a spiritual problem. Spiritual problems need spiritual cures, right? This isn't just a mental thing. It's not like an emotional thing. We need emotional cures. We need more self-help or something like that. You can't will yourself to be free of envy. You need a savior. And that's what we have, right? I can't make myself free of envy. I need a savior every single day. I need his mercy and his healing and him to work on me, right? I need that. I need a spiritual cure. So that's what we need. We need confession. Confession's important. Find somebody you trust, confess, and say, man, uh, you probably don't know this, but I have really been struggling with envy. And they're going to be like, I know. I'm glad you finally admitted it. <laughs> now we can get somewhere, right? Because I, pr- I promise you, they know. Um, uh, confess it, right? Does, does a soul good. And then repent. You say, Jesus, I, this isn't just a quirk of mine. I've sinned. I'm guilty of the sin of envy, and I need your healing. I need your forgiveness. And he's faithful. He is so faithful. He's so faithful. Okay, so there, there's our spiritual cure. Now, here's the vaccine. You ready? You want to know what is like kryptonite to envy? Relentless gratitude. Gratitude. All right? We've confessed it. We poured our heart out to somebody we trust. Okay? And then we've repented before the Lord. We've asked him to forgive us. We asked him to start this healing in my body and my soul and my mind. And he's faithful. Now, you know what we start doing? We walk in gratitude. Gratitude. This isn't one-time thing. It's not like, okay, I'm thankful. I'm done. It's, this is relentless. It's daily. And eventually, you know what? It becomes like part of who you are. This gratitude thing. You want to shut down envy in its tracks. You start thanking God out loud for stuff. Thank him out loud for stuff. The next time you hear that voice in your head that, you know, you want to be that person or you wish it was you instead of them and they're an idiot and they don't really deserve this stuff anyway, you obliterate that voice in its tracks right then by choosing right then to be grateful. Be grateful. And then, you know what's good? Start rehearsing all the things in your life to be grateful for, right? And we start with our salvation. That's the number one thing. Because if you don't have that, you don't have anything. I'm just telling you. But we start rehearsing the things that we have to be grateful for. I want to do something fun. Think of something right now that you have to be grateful. Just one thing that you have to be grateful for. One thing. And on the count of three, we're all going to yell it out, okay? On the count of three, say, I'm going to go one, two, three, and then you yell it out. Ready? Okay? So it's after three. Here we go. Ready? Everybody got it in your brain? Here we go. One, two, three. All right. That's good. That's good. Okay, now quick. Think of another thing. You ready? You got it? One, two, three. All right. All right. Good. Let's do it one more time. Ready? You got another thing in your mind? One, two, three. All right. I heard less things there. Y'all need a little more time to think of that third thing. You might feel like, well, I got to get really creative. That's okay. Get creative. Now, do that about 10 times a day, and your life will change. I promise you. When you choose gratitude, you know what you're doing? You're choosing not to betray the gifts that God has given you. You're choosing not to betray the meal he has prepared for you day after day after day. And when you get there, when you, when you start to walk in that, you move closer to this closer to this place of wholeness, what the Jews called shalom, right? This beautiful place. And you know what? It'll be a place where you actually celebrate with people the success that they have. Genuinely, genuine celebration, not with false, fake smiles, you know, and gritting teeth. Genuine celebration, real joy. You'll be able to have real joy for people, for others, and for the gifts that you have. That's the place 
you and I have to get to in order to do what the Bible says. You know what the Bible says for us? That all Christians, what the church should be a place of? It uses this beautiful expression. It says we should rejoice with those who are rejoicing. We should mourn with those who mourn. Because we both, we both have both those seasons in our life, don't we? We got rejoice seasons, we got mourning seasons. And instead of going, when someone, something bad happens to them, going, yes, they didn't get that promotion. That means we're still equals. Yes. Right? Envy will, will keep you from actually authentically mourning with people with people in need, for being there in their time of need, in their pain. It'll keep you from there because you're secretly kind of delighted in their suffering. Nobody would admit that, but that's what envy does. But when you choose to stop and you choose to walk in gratitude for the beauty that surrounds you and you know God has got you in his hands, when you take that deep breath and you just you rejoice in the gifts that God has given you today as well as the gifts he's given for somebody else, your life becomes something to celebrate. You become, you have the ability to celebrate. And instead of being bitter or envious of other people, you're able to live this life of perpetual celebration, right? Perpetual celebration. You're recognizing the miracles of God happening all around you. Your eyes are open one thing after the other. Not because bad things don't happen. The bad things happen. But you know, even when the bad things happen, God is also there. When I have my good days, God is there. When I have my bad days, God is there too. God is there too. And you're able to say that with all the confidence in your heart. Even when the, the, everything crumbles around you, you could say, God is here too. He is with me. I have a loving father. He has not left me. That is something to celebrate no matter what is going on or how you feel. That doesn't matter as much as knowing God is there too. And he has not left me. He will never leave me. Living in gratitude is being able to say authentically, I wish success on blessing on every one of my peers, all of my friends. I wish success and blessing on them. And it's being able to say, I wish success and blessing on every person who is in the process of trying to climb out of the hole of poverty. I wish success and blessing on them. And it even is being able to say, I wish success and blessing on all those people who have already achieved the success that I hope to someday. I wish more success and blessing on them. In, be, being free of envy will enable you to do that. Gratitude is the space you move into in, where envy has no more power. It has no more power over you. And the celebration by other people becomes your celebration too. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father God, we love you so much. I thank you, Father for your mercy. I thank you, Lord God, that you are moving us into that place where we can celebrate truly and authentically, genuinely with each other in the joys of life. And we can mourn truly and authentically with each other in the sorrows of life, Father God, because we know that you are there. We know that you are there in that place too. We thank you, Lord God. Thank you for opening our eyes to the, way that we, to the ways that we have believed in lies, Father God, these deadly lies, Lord. Thank you for freeing us from them, helping, to, helping us to be honest enough with ourselves to say, yes, yeah, I have been suffering from this. I have been guilty of this, and I need, I need forgiveness. I need healing. I need to be free because we want to be free. We want to be people of joy and peace, Father God, so we, can, so we can represent you well in the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down this morning. And um, as they're coming, 
I want to bless you. Let me bless you in this. Here's my little benediction to you. May we, Generation Church, 31 years, may we start and continue to be the most grateful community of people in the world. Grateful for each other. Grateful for what God is doing in your life, what God's doing in my life, what God's doing through our church. Grateful people. And may we be able to shut down any, any hint of, of envy or bitterness with enormous and immediate gratitude. Amen? And may we be a, a community of people who can genuinely celebrate with those who are celebrating and genuinely mourn with people who are going through a brokenhearted situation. Amen? Amen. Guys, have a great week. Hope to see you back this afternoon for our ice cream Sunday time. And then we'll see you Wednesday night for our night of worship. Hallelujah. Go represent Christ well to the world. See you later. Last